in the morning when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my f***ing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials. On the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My f***ing ass. With Graney and Bischoff. Rip them mother Rip them fucking suckers like the f***ing players. UNLV basketball has had more scheduled changes. They will not play San Diego State on Tuesday. The Aztecs are on a pause because of COVID, and that game has been postponed. Instead, UNLV is going to play San Jose State on Monday. It was a game that was supposed to be played on January 5th, but the Spartans had COVID issues, and that game couldn't be played as originally scheduled. Uh, no makeup dates been announced for UNLV and San Diego State yet. And what it means is that next week, UNLV, they play tomorrow, by the way, but then next week they're going to play at San Jose State on Monday, at Air Force on Thursday, and then San Jose State again at home on oh. Saturday. Um, that is the two worst teams in the conference three times in one week for UNLV. Stacking wins, Tyler. Stacking wins. They're yeah. going to stack them. And they, uh, they are know, they are bum slayers. They do beat up on the bad yeah. teams. They crush them. Well, and that's what I was going to ask you about because we, we both kind of don't think they're going to the NCAA tournament this year, but you've made the point that they haven't beaten anyone good. So there's an opportunity with San Diego State that's lost to try to beat someone good, try to get them, you know, what, top 50, top 40 win. I don't know exactly where they are in Ken Palm right now, but I think San Diego State's near top 40, right, especially after Florida State win. So... I guess it's a good trade because you're going to probably get a win unless you mess it up. But I'd like to see them try to get a win against a good team. Like, I wanted to see that rematch with San Diego State far more than I want to see them play at San Jose State. And so, it, I'm I'm curious, are they going to get to play San Diego State? Like, is that a game that's going to be made up? Because, basically, we're, when we get here into these last uh, few weeks here of the conference season, there's going to be less and less opportunities to squeeze games in. And I think it's already kind of interesting. The UNLV is playing three games in a week next week. Like that's not, that's not normal. You don't normally get three games in one week. So I'm curious if a, they'll even find a place on the schedule to squeeze in UNLV San Diego state, but then also San Diego state's got a chance to go to the NCAA tournament they might say eh, we'd rather reschedule a game against Nevada or Boise state because UNLV doesn't help us as far as our NCAA tournament resume goes. Yeah. No, I, I believe those are two teams. I'm almost certain definitely Nevada, right? Cause it's going to be on CBS. They, they missed that game. Uh, they've missed a Fresno state game. They've missed now three home games, San Diego state. So I, I don't look, I don't think they're getting them all back. Uh, you and I've talked about this. I don't think there's any way all these teams are playing the same games. I think it's going to go to win percentage, but you're right. If San Diego State has a choice and it's Boise Arena, they're going to take them over San Diego, or over UNLV in a second with a chance to get a better win. Uh, but I, I'm of the I'm of the feeling that the, when we sit here at the end of the season and we look at numbers of games, it's going to be all over the map. Happy to move on to the to the next question here, Aaron. Here's a fun stat, thanks to Nate Eel Ewell. I don't know how to say Nate's last name. Ewell. The Golden Knights have not been outshot in 23 straight games. That is the third longest streak in NHL history. Uh, the Rangers had a 26-game stretch in the 70s, and the Blues had a 29-game stretch in the 1999-2000 season. Don't you love fun stats? The Golden Knights are just out shooting everybody, Ed. Yeah. 
I like those stats given how you know many people have been out and hurt. And uh, Pete DeBoer likes that stat. He would probably uh, you know tell us how many times that happened at home or on the road. Yeah, <laughs> he's not very happy with any of that. Um, but yeah, that's a good stat. I'm trying to 23 straight games. They're in first place in the Pacific. Uh, I guess that means more wins than losses when they do it. Usually. Uh, that's a fun stat. Um, Usually. The interesting part, though, is that they've been doing it recently without Max Pacioretty, who's the guy on the team yeah. that shoots more than anyone. I think he still he leads the league in shots per, like, minute played or whatever. Like, Max Pacioretty just lets it fly. They haven't even had him for a while, and they're still out shooting everybody. Generally speaking, out shooting people is a good thing. That's sort of uh, one of the main tenets of analytics. Sort of the things you want to do. Right. The, the main exception is when, you know, a team is losing in the third period and they just start launching every possible thing they can on yeah. net when the quality starts to suffer and it's just about quantity. That's one main area where, yeah, you might get outshot, but it's because you're up two goals and the other team just shot from everywhere. But for the most part, out shooting opponents indicates that you are controlling the puck and you have more offensive chances than your opponent does. And the Golden Knights are typically better than their opponents. Next question. The Sixers still want Ben Simmons to return to the floor. Adrian Wojnarowski with the report yesterday because Ben Simmons' agency met with the Sixers again this week. They want him, the team wants him back on the floor playing, but apparently that's not going to happen. The 76ers have still said that uh, he's not ready to come back and that they would prefer a trade, but Adrian Wojnarowski also reported there's been no traction on a trade right now. The trade deadline is February 10th. Uh, do you believe the 76ers would simply let Ben Simmons just not play this entire season? Yeah, I believe they'd let him not play and, and never trade him because you, you have a point down here. I mean, I don't think they're going to let him go without value. And if no one's calling him on him and there's no traction on trade now, there's no value. So I would absolutely think, you know, it would have to be a great, great player to even consider it. But I, I think they'll let him play the, the entire season without trading him. Daryl Morey, uh, he said it publicly. They, they want a player that's going to help them win the championship in return for Ben Simmons. They do not want to trade him. Who's going who's gonna to do that? Right, and that's the question. Like, they don't want to oh, trade him for picks, or they don't want to trade him for picks and role players. Like, they want a genuine whatever, top 30. I don't know what. They, he hasn't said a specific number, but they want a genuine, like, top 30 player in the league or something like that. And... Yeah, it, it's a question of of who is going to give that up, right? Like, obviously, Damian Lillard was a name that was talked about, but that seems highly unlikely. Would the Trailblazers give up C.J. McCollum, and would the Sixers consider C.J. McCollum one of those types of players, right? The the Celtics have been mentioned with Jalen Brown or Marcus Smart. So it's, it's fascinating because the Sixers have basically put themselves in a position of, hey, we don't have much leverage, but we want a massive haul back. Yeah. But at the same time, if you're the 76ers, Ben Simmons is under contract, not just for this season, but the three seasons after this. Like, yeah, the Sixers are hurting their chance to win the title now, but they don't really have the pressure to trade him now. It's not like he's walking in the offseason. Like, they literally can drag this out for years before they actually trade Ben Simmons because they don't really have a deadline to move him. They don't have the pressure to move him because he's under contract. They can sit and wait until well, somebody offers him something great. I mean, have any of those teams, you're saying that, you know, there's no traction on trades and you just mentioned a lot of names, but 
how serious have any of those teams been to try to get the, uh, get yeah. them? Because it doesn't seem like they have them. Yeah, I I would imagine like I'd imagine there's a lot of teams that are interested in acquiring Ben Simmons, but probably not interested in paying the price of hey, we know right. this guy's like the 35th best player in the league. He's good. And Ben Simmons could be a top 10 player or he could sink our entire franchise because he can't shoot. Like that's the outcomes of Ben Simmons. So I have to imagine a lot of teams will say, you know what? This guy might not be as good as Ben Simmons peak, but we're going to stick with him because he's also right. better than Ben Simmons is for. Great question. Speaking of Damian Lillard, he's going to miss six to eight weeks. He is having abdominal surgery. Uh, he, ha- he has, he's already missed two weeks. Basically he hasn't played since December 31st. The Blazers are 10th in the West. They're going to miss the playoffs? I'm not so sure with the way the Lakers are playing. Maybe they'll drop below them. <laughs> I, watched, I watched them last night against the Kings. Um, hey, hey, Carmelo was out. <laughs> uh, I Look, I don't feel bad for a lot of pro athletes who make the money they make. I really don't, even though you know the market bears it. So I never had problems with salaries. But... You and I have never talked about Dame Lillard and never wanting to change his mind in Portland, which has always interested me, given how many of these superstars jump from team to team. But isn't it eventually going to be on him that, especially if they miss the playoffs this year, that he's going to want to be moved? I, does he enjoy Portland this much? Yeah, it's he's one of the few guys that has taken that whole loyalty, stick with the same team type of mentality. Um, he's under contract, I think, two more years after this one. So it's not like he's a free agent anytime soon. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm curious what Damian Lillard kind of thinks of Portland after this year. Because I'll say this. I don't feel so bad for Damian Lillard to be selfish. I feel bad for us because Damian Lillard's one of, like, the guys you want to see in big playoff moments. Yes. And yes. we've gotten some of them, but I feel like we we deserve more. Like, yes. I, this selfishly, we deserve more. So come on, Trailblazers, get it together. I mean, at least we live somewhat somewhat close to the West Coast because there are entire populations that are like, I've never seen a Trailblazers <laughs> game. They tip, off at 10, <laughs> they tip off at 10 p.m. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Rachel Balkovich will be the manager of the New York Yankees low A minor league team this season. She will be the first woman to manage a minor or major league team affiliated with an MLB team. Uh, there was a detail yesterday. She talked to the media. There was a detail yesterday that in the past, her sisters had suggested that she change her name to Ray on her resumes so that they would not get immediately thrown out when teams saw Rachel. What a great, what a great uh, suggestion there by the sisters thinking ahead of the game. Creative. Yeah. So... Not ideal situation for Rachel Balkovich to be in, but smart sister she's got to help her out there. Um, she has worked in, she's worked with major league teams or minor league teams for like the past decade. Uh, so she's been, like, uh, what paying your dues, I guess. But I am, uh, it's it's an interesting thing that you're going to have Rachel Balkovich managing a low A team in the Yankees minor league system. Given that we often see people sort of rise up through the minor leagues and into right. the major league not just manager position, right. but other positions on the coaching staff there. So I'm curious sort of what the career path is going to end up being for Rachel Balkovich and how quickly that happens. Is baseball manager the one thing that you're like, you didn't need to play the game in order to understand? Oh, 100%. Oh, that's... Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think yeah. you need to play the game for most of them, but yes. 
if there's one yeah. where you absolutely did not have to play the game, it's yeah. baseball. No doubt about it. Like, you don't have to make any quick decisions. None whatsoever. Like, at least in football and basketball, there's, like, the occasional, like, ah, do I take a timeout? I've got three seconds to decide. Do I challenge? I've got three seconds. Baseball, just tell your pitcher to step off the mound if you're not if you're having second thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Just, oh, uh, yeah, and, your batting glove is loose. Step and, out. I don't and, know what to do yet. And then you go, all right, uh, pitching coach, go talk to our pitcher. Yes. You can literally yeah. just keep yeah. delaying the game until yeah. you decide what you want to do. That's all that happens. All right, coming up next, let's talk a little bit more about Eric Harper, UNLV's new athletic director, and what he plans to do for the Rebels. With 10 on the clock, give and go to Mawoka for the slam dunk. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. A David Mawoka highlight. You know what the sad part is, is I know exactly which play that was, too. That was one I talked about yesterday. Josh Baker pick and roll in New Mexico just just didn't guard David Mawaka, the, the tallest guy on the floor, just walking to the basket. They just let him walk to the basket, and he got a dunk. Like, Listen, David Mawaka hasn't been good this year, but if you don't guard the guy, he's he, he will dunk it. He is capable of well, that. Well, then, then that's a good team for him to be good against because they can't <laughs> guard any of us. All Mountain West the went logos. unguarded? Yes, it's All Mountain logos. West went unguarded, absolutely, uh, which is everybody when they play New Mexico for the most part. All right. So yesterday, Eric Harper got introduced as the athletic director for UNLV. We talked to him earlier in the show. If you missed it, lvsportsnetwork.com. We'll have it up on the podcast uh, after we are off the air. Uh, but a couple of things that Eric Harper said or that Keith Whitfield, the new president, uh, said. Keith Whitfield, I do want to start there. Before he introduced Eric Harper, he said that one of the primary reasons that they went with Eric Harper and named him athletic director is because of his ties to the community. He said he's vested in the community. We talked to Eric Harper. He talked a lot about it. He even told us that if his goal is to make an impact in student athletes lives, he'd rather do it here than at a power conference because there's 500 versus, you know, roughly a thousand kids that he has to make that connection with. Do you think it matters? Does the idea of being vested in the community, does the idea of, Hey, he's got ties to the community. Do you think that matters for UNLV's athletic director that they have to have those pre-existing ties before they get the job? I don't think it does. I mean, I, I'm not saying it hurts. I'm not going to say it hurts. It probably helps to some level. But I think if you're professional and you do your job as well as you can and you know what you're doing, then you can make those ties in the community. Um, you know, Desiree Reed Francois, I mean, look, every ever since she came, what was the you know line on her? She wanted to get to a Power Five. She was always looking. She interviewed for jobs. I don't think that precluded her from not wanting to do a good job when she was here. I don't think she showed up to work every day, you know, not focusing on what could make UNLV better. I just don't believe that. So, no, I'm not going to say it hurts. Um, maybe he knows a percentage of more people than someone like Desiree would have known because she was not, you know, vested in the community, whatever that means. Uh, but I still think you can be a really good AD and not be, you know, quote unquote, vested in the community in the way Whitfield made it sound of why he hired Eric Harper. Yeah, I to where it would pay off is right now, basically, at the very beginning of the tenure where he already has those connections in place. And right now, is Eric Harper getting donations or is Eric Harper, you know, using those relationships like he talked about with us to increase attendance at Thomas and Mac? Because I believe anybody they would have hired to be the athletic director was going to have the ability to come in and make those same connections, create those same ties sure. 
to the community. They now, wanted to. It's gonna. It would take time for a new person to come in, and that's why I think like right now, like if if they announce like ah, they've landed a two million dollar donation from somebody for whatever in the next week or so, then we can probably look at it and say yeah, Eric Harper's connections paid off. But after about what six months, eight months, like we get to a point where it's like any competent AD is gonna have connections in the community at that point. So I don't know how big of a deal that's going to be or how much that's going to help UNLV. I think that makes it from the hiring standpoint, I think it sounds nice and it makes Eric Harper easier to hire, but I don't know how much it, in terms of dividends, it actually ends up paying out to UNLV. Something else I want to ask you about, Ed, Marcus Arroyo yesterday, Eric Harper said he likes what Arroyo is doing. He believes he's on the right track. When he talked to us, he mentioned they had five losses by eight points or less. Those moral victories, good job. But that he expects them to start winning more of those next year. Uh, Eric Harper when, did not t- say that they had any sort of baseline expectation for wins next year for Marcus Arroyo. But do you think there should be? Should we have an expectation of Marcus Arroyo needs to win so many games or else he's on the hot seat? Well, I'm not so sure there isn't a baseline. I think, you know, I think this is kind of what you say the day after you name the full time AD, right? I don't think you're going to come out the day after and say, well, he needs to go to a bowl game or we're going to look elsewhere. That'd be great. Um, well, I mean, yeah, it'd be, you know, it'd be a, a good soundbite. But I got to get my guy. You know, every, <laughs> every AD worth anything is looking ahead to when you have a program that hasn't won, especially your most important program. You have to, at least in your mind, you're probably not going to say it out loud. Now, maybe you have that discussion with your coach, but you have to, at least in your mind, say, look, it's been two years. Yes, you had the pandemic the first year. We understand that. We saw what happened this year. Next year, we need to get to this point. You know, we need to get to this point to gain interest in this team and this community to get more people out to those games. So I'm just, yeah, look, I'm not going to say I don't completely believe him, but I have to believe every idea. It's almost like Jared just said. You know, what, what is the cliche about ADs? Well, they all have their lists in their desk about who would be the football basketball coaches if there's a change made, whether the coach leaves or you, you fire him. So I think that at least in his mind, he's been around the team enough to her like, look, we need to do this in year three. And if he didn't, I think it's a bit irresponsible to tell you the truth. I think you have to have some kind of baseline in your mind of what they need to be in year three of a coach's tenure. I think it's bad news for Marcus Arroyo that Eric Harper got the job instead of somebody from outside the athletic department because Eric Harper's been here for the entirety of Marcus Arroyo's tenure. Like Arroyo, he doesn't get any sort of restart, right? Because Eric Harper's, he's been here. I mean, Eric Harper was the AD effectively for Marcus Arroyo's second season. So like Eric Harper knows everything about what Arroyo and what the program is. There's, it's not like, oh, you get some sort of reset because there's a new boss. Like He knows what Arroyo is, and I think that's probably bad news because next year there's got to be some improvement shown. Like I think it's, it's, it's probably pretty obvious to everyone that if UNLV were to win like one game next year, Marcus Arroyo is probably getting fired. Like that, That's probably it, but I am curious – if, and that's why I asked him if there's a baseline of wins, even though he didn't give us an answer, I am curious if the expectation from Eric Harper is higher than that. Because again, to go back to this, Arroyo took over a program that had won four games before. And guess what? Eric Harper was here for that too. He was here for the Tony yeah. Sanchez era. Like he yeah. was, he, he knows what the program was before Arroyo got here. And it wasn't a zero win program. 
it was in year one under Arroyo. It was a two win program in year two. And I, I'm, I'm curious if there is an expectation of, Hey, you've at least got to be back to where Tony Sanchez had the program when he was fired for you to keep your job. That's what I'm curious to see because it, cause if it was me in all seriousness, we'd be talking about a bowl game because when Arroyo got this job, if we had said, Hey, in year three, he still hasn't been to a bowl game. We would have called it a failure two years ago. Yes, absolutely. And, and so that I would still have those same expectations. That would still be my objective here. And Hey, you set this program back too far that, okay, you won three games in year three. Yeah. That's better than what you did in year two, but it still sucks. And it's still nowhere near where you should have been. So I'm, I am curious if there's any sort of, I don't know if we'll get the black and white like Desiree Francois did with Tony Sanchez and basically said, hey, he's got to go to a bowl game this year or it's over. I don't think we'll get that black and white uh, sort of lay down of, hey, this is what you got to do. But I do wonder if that sort of exists for Eric Harper. I think it should exist for Eric Harper. I'll go back to my original statement. I think if there's no baseline, uh, you're not doing your job. I mean, you have to in your mind. And look, I'm not saying he needs to tell us. I'm not saying he needs to tell anybody. He needs to have private conversations with his coach and say these are the, these have to be the expectations in year three. I'm with you on a bowl game. Uh, now, again, if they go from two to five, right. five and seven, and it doesn't work out and they lose a close game not to get in six and six, then I think they'd stay with them. You know, I, I actually do. But, you know, two or three wins – I just don't think you can do that in year three. I don't think that's possible. And, you know, they're going to go back to it was zero wins because of the pandemic. Look, the pandemic affected everyone. Everyone dealt with the pandemic. You know, everyone, a lot of teams missed spring spring ball. Now, he was a first-time coach. I get that, a first-time head coach, and that was putting in his system. I mean, we understand all the reasons that have been given for why they've won two games. But in year three, when you've got this program, and I keep, you know, I keep hearing what great recruiting they're doing and that they're landing all these kids and the rolling of the dice on Twitter – then you should be more competitive to win games next year. And they've got those great facilities that are helping recruiting. There you go. There you go. <laughs> hey, recruiting's been well, good. That's, you know, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> they see that. the barbershop and they're like, somebody cuts our hair? Yeah, no, no, yeah. you can cut your own. You can't. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because, and, you know, I know Tyler's talked a lot about facilities and if they mean something or they don't. But if you keep pointing to it, which they do, they keep pointing to for Tita Football Complex is second to none playing in an NFL stadium in a Legion stadium. Okay. That's fine. But if you keep pointing to it, then win more games, yeah. whether they mean anything <laughs> or not. We constantly hear that about the facilities out there, right? That That's all we hear about is what great facilities they are. Then if that's the case and you're going to keep kind of tooting that horn, then you know what? Then win more games. Yeah, because if not, why are you talking about facilities all the time? It's kind of like when like a player gets signed or something and it's like, well, he was a former first round pick. And anytime, anytime that's the first way a player is described, it usually means he sucks because he was a first round pick and didn't pan out. Anytime you're like, well, UNLV football's got some great facilities. It's because you've got nothing nice to say about what they've actually done on the field. Cause you got nothing to point to. You can't point to, Hey, got the cannon. Hey, went to a bowl game, the heart of Dallas bowl. Like you just don't have that to point to. And that's a bit of an issue coming up next. Darren Millard joins the show. Listen, this doesn't concern you. Maroon is not just a color. This is the VGK Update with Darren Milsey Millard. All right, before we get to Darren Millard, watch party for the Raiders playoff game Saturday, 1 o'clock, Sky Bar and Grill on Sky Canyon Park Drive. Ari's going to be there from Cofield and Company. Food and drink specials plus show up in a Raiders jersey and your first draft beer 
is on the house. Saturday, Sky Bar and Grill with Ari from Cofield and Company for the Raiders and Bengals. Hi, Darren. What are you doing? Hey, Darren. Is that is that during the game? That's what a watch party would be for, yes. Okay. Just wanted to make sure I didn't miss the game <laughs> if I was going to hang out with Ari. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to. I mean, they got to bribe you with free beer to get you to hang out with Ari. Okay. No. I, I like to get all my ducks in a row. Yeah. What are you doing, driving right now? Yeah, I'm driving. Okay, I have an important question for you, Darren. How many times in your life have you had a nail in your tire? Oh, that a lot, actually. Uh, thank uh, and, you. And like every two weeks when I moved here. Uh, I, I kid you not. So, thank you. Uh, quite a few times. See? I Listen, I, it happened to me twice in December, like twice in 10 days in December, and it's probably happened to me like 15 times in my life that I've ended up with a nail in my tire. And Jared and Ed are like, they don't understand where I'm driving because they think I don't, I'm driving just through construction zones, like, as for fun. But thank you for coming on here and letting everybody hey, know that you do run over nails. I bought, the, I bought the package at the tire store that I go to where I can go back and get a fix for free all the time <laughs> if you pay the, the extra money. That's how many times I get a nail in my tire. <laughs> Listen, See, it's um, not me. No, it's and, not well. And, and it paid off. Yeah, it has. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I want to tell you hi, something. Um, hi, buddy. The uh, wife and I the other night are watching the telecast. You made an incredible point oh, about boy. about something I can't remember. So I'm going to go on to the next thing. But I wanted to tell you that. <laughs> but, uh, I, I can't, but I can't remember uh, what you said. He's a journalist. <laughs> he's a journalist, ladies and gentlemen. What do you it, think it wasn't Jack shots Eichel on coming? goal or or ice time, was it? Because those are those are pretty deep thinking thoughts for uh, for host. <laughs> you actually did. You made a great point on ice uh, on ice time. Uh, talking, I think, to Gary. Yeah, we both said, "Boy, that's a great that's a great point by Darren." So there you go. Good for you. Oh, um, thank you. It was awesome. Uh, so Jack Eichel here skating. Uh, we yeah. talked yesterday about, you know, and, and Pete DeBoer kind of leaves it wide open. He's not near, you know, we'll, we'll know when we know. Like, take us through your thoughts on is, this is going to be the doctors. Is it going to be the Golden Knights, you know, going to Jack Eichel? Is Jack Eichel going to want to play before he should? Like, take us through the Jack Eichel saga here now that he's actually here and we're seeing him in a red jersey. Well, I I believe, and, I, and I'm a big uh, proponent of this uh, philosophy, is that that doctors do make the, the call uh, beyond the, the athletic therapist uh, and beyond the athlete. They are the ones uh, that make the call. But in most cases, uh, and you've uh, been around locker rooms enough, there is sway uh, and influence between uh, the athlete and the therapist to then consult with the doctor. And and there's there's more of a team uh, decision there. But the Choice does re, uh, reside with the with the actual doctor. In this case, it's one hundred percent the doctor uh, because of the uh, one. It's the first time it's it's been done on an NHL player, and they want to be sure beyond sure. And number two, you're not rehabbing a knee where where there's a, a feel to it. Uh, this is this is to to break it down to its most basic point. This is putting uh, a piece of uh, for a uh, foreign object into the into the neck, and having the bone grow around it, and you're only strong enough to play in the National Hockey League or uh, able to play in the National Hockey League 
once that bone has suitably uh, grown and and uh, and and fused, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, around that uh, around that piece uh, that foreign object. And so between the scans and between the doctors, they will make the ultimate choice. Because Kelly McCrimmon was was flat out uh, up front with me probably about ten days ago. Said when when Jack comes here, he's going to look like he can play. And there's going to be uh, a push by people to want to see him play because he's going to look so good. The, the, the issue is contact and, and not putting that foreign object in a situation where it could be dislodged or, or moved or uh, altered. And, and that's, where, that's where the doctors come in in Jack Eichel. And it will be, if there's anything more than 100%, that's what it is. So they'll go off the scans or whatever test that they, they're able to do to judge how much uh, growth has been formed and, uh, and, and go off that. Because if, if you went by feel, he could probably he, he would tell you he's he's going to feel great in a week uh, with these guys. Well, he apparently went to dinner the day he had the surgery with his parents. Yeah. He probably felt yeah. fine that day. Yeah, and uh, it's it's a fascinating surgery. I don't know whether you guys have, have done a deep dive on it or not, but uh, but it's to, to fix the herniated disc in the back. But they go through the front of the throat, uh, the neck, and and they just kind of. Sorry for everybody in the morning, but they push everything aside and then go in and 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 take uh, whatever needed to come out and put whatever needed to go in, and then come back in and then stitch you up uh, in the front of your neck and and outside of some discomfort of having your esophagus and so, so forth just pushed aside uh, and and some stitches, uh, you, you do feel good. It's 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 a really neat uh, procedure that uh, that is is changing lives. All right, Doctor Darren. Thank it's, you. It, it's gonna be it, it's gonna be weird though. Like the whole timing of this, it's gonna be weird because I don't think we see this with very many things in hockey. Where like Jack Eichel might honestly what be practicing for a month before he's yeah. ready to play, and like this is gonna be weird when he's just like, yeah, Jack Eichel's at practice, but it's you know it's been four weeks, it's been five weeks, yeah, still like it's just gonna be a weird scenario where everybody sees him, but he still can't play. Yeah, but it's it's a great situation because he he just moved here uh, this week, like full time. Uh, he's he's going to get his bearings around him. He's going to get uh, all the um, the ins and outs with the team, and he's not going to have to worry about uh, performing on the ice. He's just going to get like settle in, and and outside of being traded in the in the off season, even then, guys usually arrive just before training camp. Uh, and you don't have uh, that that uh, just downtime to be able to uh, figure everything out. I, I think it's 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 fascinating when you get traded at a trade deadline. You land, you play, and you got to meet all your new teammates, and you got to get to know everything all at once. And that I'm convinced is is why uh, sometimes it just doesn't work, and especially with with goalies. But this this case, uh, it's it's unbelievable uh, advantage for him to be. Uh, able to to play and focus on the game and not everything else when when the time comes that he does play it will look it will look weird and it, and it will look um, interesting because he's gonna he's gonna uh, deliver on the on, during the practices like he can go out and play this isn't just a, a player getting a couple of reps coming out for 15 minutes of practice uh, leaving and working his way up to it or doing those side sessions uh, uh, with uh, with the assistant coaches and then working his way in 
he's going to be able to, to full-on practice for uh, three to four weeks and, and look great, and that's where the patience comes in. All right, we asked this yesterday. We asked this question yesterday. If, when, if and when he comes back, let's say he starts on the third line, and he looks up and he said, hey, you know, that Patch Reddy kid's back and Stone's pretty good, and he goes to DeBoer and says, put me on the first line, who wins that battle? Uh, if that happened, DeBoer, uh, I don't think that will happen because he's just so darn excited to be uh, on this team with this group. He's never played in the Stanley Cup playoffs, Ed. And wow. he's going from zero to a thousand when it comes to being a contender. Uh, so, uh, and 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 add to it that Vegas, as soon as they acquired him, uh, agreed to uh, his his desire to have the artificial disc replacement surgery. Uh, he is upfront about being so appreciative of of what the Vegas Golden Knights have done for him, and now being on a contender. Uh, I think uh, if, if if that happened, he would be just fine to let things work themselves out. This this is a short window too. Uh, it's not training camp where you're like, okay, I might be I might be here all year. This is a short window. Try and win a Stanley Cup, and and uh, he knows the situation. He hasn't played in almost a, a calendar year. Uh, I I think that uh, that everything that he's been through uh, through the process and the disagreement with the Buffalo Sabers has taught him uh, some patience and and has added to his appreciation as a professional athlete. and And I think he'll be he'll be just fine if, if that happens. Uh, I'm on the record saying that that he'll end up in the middle between Patrick and Stone. Uh, I've I've softened that a Whoa. little bit because of, because yeah. of what Steve, just because what Stevenson's done, oh. but. But I think, uh, but I think that uh, he's your he's your best player. He'll end up playing with your 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 best team. Like nobody talks about him playing with the Misfits because they've been together for so long. Um, uh, the, the Stevenson one is uh, is just as effective with the money line when they were going. Uh, so it's it's a good problem to have for, uh, for 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 Pete DeBoer. I don't think he ends up in the third line though. That nobody, that I will stick to. Nobody knows what the money line is. Yeah. It's- your worst the money Pacioretty, Stone, and Stevenson. Yeah, but nobody knows. You just threw that in like people were going to know what you were talking about. <laughs> if you say it with confidence, Tyler, <laughs> everybody buys in. Um, all right, last thing for you. Uh, Alex Petrangelo played nearly 33 minutes last night. Everybody give him a round of applause. How come he just didn't play the other 32 minutes? Why didn't they just leave him out there for the entire game? So I've got some news for you. Oh, boy. 32-55 was his recorded ice time right after the game. 32.54 was his previous career high. 32.30 is what he ended up with 45 minutes after the game. They took away 25 seconds what happened? after the game. Wait, what I happened? don't know, and I'm not happy about it. What? Because what you, I, ordered what? A, I ordered a plaque off Amazon to give to Petrangelo, <laughs> congratulating him on his new career high for ice time, and they took away 25 seconds. What? And I, I don't know how or what, because they, they change shots all the time. Yeah. Uh, I'm used to that, but I've never seen 25 seconds locked up. So at three quarters of the way through the postgame show with, uh, with Lawman and I, we find out that, uh, that it's not a career high anymore. And he's, uh, he's just a little bit short. So um, to answer your question, I, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. What, he played 30, over 30 minutes in regulation. Like that was and and they can they can 
empty the tank, uh, and they were down Shea Theodore and Alec Martinez and Nick Hag. So they were they were they were short. I I, I figured thirty was in the bank no matter what. But uh, approaching a career high for a regulation game for Alex Petrangelo, you're entering some elite territory uh, with that one, and and going against uh, an elite offensive team last night uh, excluded. Uh, that uh, that was that was an impressive game. That, that I, I just. I think he's so cool. And then I don't know whether you guys saw his media availability, but uh, but he had energy to burn in that that too. Like answered all the questions with, with thoughtful answers and and was was going uh, and buzzing uh, just through through that thing. So uh, I, he's he's not he's my top five athletes. If I could pick to to spend an hour with just shooting the breeze because uh, he's fascinating and he's incredibly talented. Well. Darren Millard's going to fill in tomorrow for Ed, and we are going to get the rest of your top five athletes to spend an hour with. Uh, thanks, Darren. Avoid the nails. Uh, I will. Uh, that, that'd be a good nickname, uh, except somebody already had it. Uh, Ed, uh, safe travels, and uh, I'll be with Thank Ari at the watch party uh, taking in the game. <laughs> you you, thanks, you keep making those incredible moments on TV for me. Uh, I always, uh, I, I, I tell my uh, my wife all the time, I always look better when I'm beside Gary. I sound better. I look better. I'm a million bucks. <laughs> Get out of here. Thank you. Okay, See you, So Darren Millard will be on the show tomorrow, and he will hopefully be taking out Gary Lawless yeah. for three hours and not just 15 minutes. All right, coming up next, the Grizzlies are great. I love this team. Third and nine on the minus five. Oh. Let's go in, in uh, goal line personnel and run a QB sneak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would, you, would, you would call time out there. We'd audible. Hey, call, call that one in, Matt, and let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't flying. Oh, that would be awesome. Fourth uh, quarter. Unbelievable. We are back to the box with Grady and Bischoff. So I teased going into break. Then we're going to talk about the Grizzlies because they're a lot of fun. And Damon, who some of you may know from Raider Nation Radio, uh, he texted me. Ja is the MVP. JJJ is the ultimate stretch five. Dylan Brooks has the clamps. Bain is built different. Only team to beat the Suns and Warriors. Grizzlies are winning the finals. So apparently Damon's a big fan of the Grizzlies. I don't know if they're winning the finals, though. They're, he's from Tennessee. I don't know if they're winning the finals. Can you win a finals with Brandon Clark? Yeah. San Jose State Pride, Brandon Clark. Yeah, San Jose State Pride. Hold on, important Brandon question. Clark. is Which part of Tennessee is DeMond from? I want to say Memphis. Okay, because I was going to say not Memphis. Every other part of Tennessee doesn't claim Memphis. Yes, so, well. Yes. So I'm assuming he's from Memphis if he likes the Grizzlies. Well, I was born in Nashville, and I claim Memphis, so that's probably <laughs> problematic. I didn't know that. <laughs> no, nobody in, ten- nobody in Tennessee claims Memphis except Memphis. Are you going to talk about the jersey? Yes, the Grizzlies this are is amazing. Awesome. All right, so this is awesome. John Morant had a great play against the Warriors. He kind of found his way, kind of into the crowd, and was celebrating. And there were kids trying to high five him, wearing Warriors jerseys. And John Morant did not high five them. He kind of stared <laughs> them down. And then afterwards, when asked about it, John Morant was like, "Listen, we're in Memphis. I'm not high fiving you in a Warriors jersey." Right? Like, put on a Grizzlies jersey and, and we can celebrate here. And then he said, somebody find me that kid's information and I'll send him a, a Grizzlies jersey. <laughs> I'll send him one of our jerseys so he has one to wear. But John Morant was like, listen, I'm not celebrating with you if you're wearing a Steph Curry jersey while I'm playing against Steph Curry. 
And now the Grizzlies have gone all in on this because the Grizzlies are going to do a jersey exchange for kids. So if you got a kid who's got like a LeBron James jersey, a Kevin Durant jersey, a Steph Curry jersey, whoever it is, you can bring it in and you can exchange it and get a John Morant jersey. This is phenomenal by the Grizzlies. I love every part of this. I think I think this is amazing. And and they're going to look. They're not going to burn the LeBron jerseys. They're going to give them away to charity. So (laughs) you know, they're not going to have some big bonfire in the uh, in the parking lot out there and start throwing jerseys in there to just you know burn them up. But uh, no, you get a you get a John Morant jersey or Dylan Brooks jersey, and you put yours in. And I'm wondering what age they cap this at because you could have like some 40 year old guy rolling in with his jersey saying, "I want a John Morant jersey." It's like no, it's just for the children. Um, But good for them to jump on this. I mean, that was. You know, and, and look, I don't know if they could have ever gotten the kids' information where John Moran could have sent him the jersey. Maybe they could if it's season ticket holders. If not, I don't know if they'd ever track the kid down. But now the kid can come in and get his own John Moran jersey. This is this is an awesome promotion. So, first of all, thank God we live in America where we have such a beast children that you can get a 6X in children's sizes, and uh, it's basically a medium in an adult size. 12 and under, Jared. It's 12 and under. Well, I have a 12-year-old son. And I have a Sam Decker jersey that I uh, don't have any reason to wear. Kid must be present for the exchange. I can find a kid. <laughs> <laughs> you walk around the street, you find a kid. <laughs> uh, up to 250. So it's not an unlimited number here, but they're doing it for tonight's game. Um, okay. Okay. Listen, Jared, you pitched us on, hey, let's pick an NBA team and just randomly cover them like we do our local teams. I'm still not in, but give it another two weeks and I might be in on the Grizzlies. All right. I might be. I, might be. I may not be here, so that would be that'd They're be great. fun. <laughs> They're great. I, the Grizzlies are great. They don't lose anymore. Of course, they'll probably end up losing tonight, um, but they don't lose anymore. It's phenomenal. It's great. I love everything about the Grizzlies right now. And you know what? I hope DeMond's right. I hope the Grizzlies win the title. That would be a lot of fun. If John Morant has that kind of rise to superstardom, that'd be a lot of fun. So I'm in on on Dylan Brooks having the clamps and Desmond Bain being built different, and that being why the Grizzlies win.